Hey guys, Cade Wilcox here, host of the Primitive Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Today we're joined by Tom Sell of Combast Sell Associates. Tom's just a really great guy, really genuine, has over 20 years of experience in all levels of the national government, really advocates for some ag associations and really represents a lot of rural communities. And so really enjoyed having him on today and listening to his perspective of leadership and what that looks like in the context of his work. So again, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy today's episode. I think an important aspect of leadership is just being stubborn at the right time, being beholden to a set of principles that drive you, studying and being knowledgeable, and really working to assess all the facts and all the factors that are weighing in on a particular topic, and then standing your ground and being stubborn, being inviting and, and willing to work with and talk with and talk through the issues with anyone, but ultimately that kind of willingness to stand your ground I think is one of the key aspects of leadership. Tom, thanks for joining the Primitive Podcast. It's really cool to have you here. Thanks uh, for your time. Excited to kind of get your insight and perspective uh, on leadership. All right. Pleased to do it with you, Cade. That's right. So for those who don't know Tom Sell, tell us about you, about about your background, about the work you do now, just just a, a overview of, of uh, yeah, what you do. All right. Yeah, Tom Sell. I'm a, uh, let's see, fifth generation West Texan. Love this this region of, of the world. Um. I went to Texas Tech University, studied ag economics, went out to Washington, D.C. Uh, right after undergrad, uh, participated in this messy environment, this crucible of ideas called the U.S. Congress. was a staff for the former congressman Larry Combest from this area who preceded Randy Nagabauer, who preceded Jody Arrington, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Combest was the third representative of that 19th district, George Mahon, Kent Hans, Larry Combest, and then we, we've had a great legacy uh, that's not very many. Generation. That's not very many people. No, yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that. But really, a, a powerful group. When you look at the footprint of guys like Mahon, for sure, Hans, Combes, it's there's a lot to live up to there. So, Godspeed, Jody. Um, so I worked for Congress for multiple years. Did work in the Agriculture Committee. Really grew to love this kind of esoteric and unique area of of public policy. Uh, it's something that that affects each of us, um, really three times a day in the, in the food that we eat. One of the most fundamental, you know, um, purposes of a government is to provide security for its people and to supply resources and to facilitate the best use of those resources. So agricultural policy has been part of our nation's, um, uh, fabric since our very beginning. And, and of course we in the United States based that on, on kind of strong private property rights, we're going to invest in people to invest in the land and and grow our culture from there. And so we've had a lot of different directions, and, and ag policy touches a lot of things from international trade to environmental policy. So it's always a very active uh, and, and interesting area that affects every American. So it's an area of policy that I was, I was fortunate as a young man to be able to specialize in with Larry Combest. And then after moving back, going to law school, uh, I really, we were scared by uh, just how much we loved the, the, the culture and the and the, uh, our friends in Washington, D.C. We always, Kyla and I always thought we wanted to raise our family here. So at a point, we did kind of pick up roots, moved back, went to law school here, thought I'd hang a shingle and be a country lawyer, but then just kind of got sucked into, pulled back into the policy debates in Washington, D.C. So we've had a firm, Combat Selling Associates. We've been operating in the, in the lobbying and public advocacy mm. 
realm in Washington, D.C. since 2005. Okay, wow. So not too far from 20 years uh, now that yeah, you've been doing that. Yeah, coming up on it. So without, I guess, getting too policy wonkish or, you know, into the, into the details, how, how much, or not how much, because I'm sure it's been, a, it's changed a lot, but what are some things that you've noticed over the last 15 to 20 years? You know, you kind of started in, in Congress and, you know, now you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. What are some of the fundamental changes that you've seen over, over the course of time in, in the way that maybe Congress operates and in the way that things work in kind of that realm? Yeah, it's a great question, Kate. And, and there's a lot of hand-wringing on this subject generally, you know, this, this kind of feeling of are, are we losing something in our body politic? Um, and, I, you know, I came in at the, at the beginning of what was called the kind of the Contract with America era when Newt Gingrich – um, and the Republicans took control of the U.S. House of Representatives for the first time in 42 years. In 42 years? Yeah, they've been in the wilderness for that, that amount of time. Um, and a lot of people kind of blame a lot of the, a lot of the uh, kind of the, the, the bad movements, uh, the, the, the negative movement of the U.S. Congress on that contract with America time frame and Newt Gingrich and going to the more compressed schedules. One of the narratives that you'll hear often is that, oh, members of Congress don't spend any time around one another as families mm-hmm. and as family units anymore. And so they, they, lose, they lose some of that um, relational aspect that allows them to, to compromise and, and, and come across the aisle and create better policy. I'm sure there's some truth to that. But from my experience, Cade, you know, Washington still runs on uh, good people trying to pursue good ideas in winsome ways. I, you know this from 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 your work. You're you're all about communications, and and you know the the field of play changes constantly, but there are always those who find a way to make it work, um, who who find a way in the current environment to get their ideas across and uh, push the envelope in in positive ways. And that's still the case in Washington D.C. It certainly changed, but. I'm a big defender and proponent of of this very messy system that we have in the U.S. Congress. Uh, it's not designed to be slick or efficient by any means. It's designed to clash, allow for this clash of ideas. Uh, there are certainly some things I'd do different. Um, I'd love to see the committees uh, restored with more power or given more power to really kind of hash through the details. But the fact is a lot of people don't like that hashing through. They just want kind of a clean path from point A to point B. So, uh, it always has been a mess. It continues to be a mess, but we're still blessed to live in the in the greatest nation in the history mm-hmm. of the world. I agree with that. I'm going to ask one more question, then we'll get to leadership stuff. Yeah. Now I'm just you know I'm just fascinated by this stuff, and maybe some of our listeners, even those who are not inclined to engage in politics, find it interesting. But why does it feel so much different? Because like when I listen to you talk about it, and you know others that I know, like our, our mutual friend Barry Brown, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's kind of been consistent. You know, as long as y'all have been engaged with it. Why does it feel so much worse? Is it because of the rhetoric? Is it because of maybe the news media? Like why, why does it feel so much different now than you know it did even ten to fifteen years ago? Yeah, well, you know they they always say the the best friend of the good old days is a is a incomplete memory. Um, you know it's never as good in the moment as, as it is in in the rearview mirror. Um, we've had messy politics ever since ever since I can remember, but. I will say this: we we do tend to live in a in a constant hype machine uh, these days, where you have you have a, a vast number of media outlet, outlets that are competing for our eyes and ears and 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 likes and impressions, 
And so they, they tend to hype up every little story. Hmm. Um, and that's just not the way the real world works, right? It doesn't work that way in our friendships and our relationships. And, and that's also true of, of, of Congress. Just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean they're, they're evil. And, and so we have in, in, the, in the media, in the public media, we, we tend to just over-sensationalize everything. And I, I think that goes a lot to the reason why it feels so, so bad right now. I'm always really encouraged when I talk to you because I'm like, you know, I I probably lean into that hype too much. And so it makes it feel chaotic. It makes it feel lost. It makes it feel, you know, impossible to recover. And so when I hear guys like you, who I respect, talk about how there's really been a level of this for a long time, it, it kind of gives me a bit of comfort thinking, okay, well, we'll we'll see through this really unique season that it feels like we're in. Okay, that's why that's why you're kind of cool and fun to be around and always exciting. I was, that's why I'm kind of a fuddy duddy, right? I, I kind of minimize everything, and and uh, yeah, we've 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 been through this before, so I, I should be more like you. No, 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 <laughs> no. My heart rate would probably go down <laughs> substantially. You keep things exciting. <laughs> Let's talk about leadership. So, like you, you have a unique role of advocacy and 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 and, and partnering with people to make things happen. Yep. So, when you think about leadership in your own context and your role in your organization, working, you know, with the stakeholders that you work with, like what is your role as a leader? Like, what is it that you're you're bringing to the table as a leader? Yeah. So. Professionally, we, we represent a lot of grassroots organizations that are, that are one, trying to be educated um, on the issues so they can pick the right battles. Um, and, and a lot of what we do is provide, you know, try and provide wisdom and counsel into uh, the issues that are important to them and, and, yeah, just help them pick the right battles. I think an important aspect of leadership is just being stubborn at the right time, you know, being, being uh, beholden to a set of principles that drive you. So, and, and, and you have that Cade, I have that, um, studying and being knowledgeable, uh, and, and, and really working to assess all the facts and all the factors that are, that are weighing in on a particular topic. And then, and then, um, you know, standing your ground and, and, and being stubborn, being, being inviting and, and willing to work with and talk with and talk through the issues with, with, with anyone, uh, but ultimately, that kind of willingness to 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 stand your ground, I think, is is one of the key aspects of of, of leadership. And one of the things that's made our firm, you know, I think, re- attractive, and we've been very successful through the years, just because I, I think people see those those qualities in us. They're they're looking for guidance. They're looking for leadership on the subjects. They're looking for someone who can help harness the power of a grassroots uh, organization and that collective thought and and. Uh, uh, yeah, I love the work, and, and yeah. we've been fortunate at it. That's really good. What 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 do you do? Like, how do you manage um, conflict? You know, like when you talk about standing your ground, yeah. choosing when to be stubborn, understanding your principles. You know, helping helping people kind of navigate these the these decisions that they're yeah. making. Like, what's been your approach to handling conflict? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I genuinely like it, and and I and I don't get. Uh, offended, and I think that helps people see that, and so they they, they tend to follow uh, our lead in in dealing with the, that way. So I, I think the answer is we lean right into it. So if it's obvious that you know, let's say we we're we're working for an association with a board that has division uh, within it about the best direction to take, uh, we just really try and lean in and get those get those issues on the table uh, and and. Uh, Debated and teed up in a constructive way, so that both sides can can uh, uh, fully 
articulate their their concerns or or wishes or desires, and the other side can hear that. Mm-hmm. And genuinely, when you have that kind of very sincere and honest dialogue, it's respectable from both sides. Um, we, we just try and you know take the temperature down, but provide the forum uh, to allow it to be discussed. We do that on in our little associations, and then that filters all the way up into a place like. Uh, a place like the U.S. Congress, where theoretically they're supposed to be doing the same thing. Mm. It is a little skewed because they right. tend to play to the cameras more. So it is, It is. I think you need a safe space to do that, where it's, you know, there's not a feeling that that, uh, that the conflict is just that the opposite side is going to run off and, and kind of line up their, their, uh, their battle lines against it. Uh, it's the idea that you are actually going to try and hash these things out in the safe space and environment. When you lean into conflict, do you find that it tends, you just mentioned, like, lower the temperature. So is that probably the thing you see the most, that it it kind of softens the edge of both sides yeah. and creates a conversation instead of everyone being in their silos, heart rates are going up, yeah. temperature is starting to boil, yeah. edges are getting really sharp? <laughs> I mean, is that kind of what you've seen? That's exactly what I see. And and it is a process that I, I just absolutely love. There, there's nothing more gratifying in my work than when we have some potential conflict and can kind of nip that in the bud or, or just get the two sides to see one another's point of view. Because a lot of times um, when you see uh, another point of view, it, it helps moderate your views in a way that, that would be more, hmm. yeah, a, a, a better place to end up. So it, it, it breeds that middle ground, which is important. That's good. In your opinion, why do, why do people on an individual level and group levels and organizations, why do you think they tend to do the opposite of leaning in? You know, like we're kind of naturally prone to, you know, avoid conflict, yeah. a, a, avoid disagreement, yeah. kind of be in our echo chambers. Why do you think, why do you think that is? Like, why, why do you think we tend to avoid conflict? Yeah, it, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think we do. It, it, it's natural to want to be with people that are, that are, you know, just like you or will reaffirm your ideas and thoughts. But, um, and while that's natural, I, I don't think it's necessarily the healthiest. Um, you know, we even, we even deal with this in, in, at my church, Kate. I mean, we, we want to be a church uh, that, that resembles the body of Christ and all of its diversity and mix. And we, we want to, you know, rather than holding people off into, okay, this is going to be the old person's Sunday school class and this will be the young, uh, progressive, skinny jean wearing type people like yourself. No, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we try and mix it sure. all together to have that, you know, we learn from one another's diversity and, right. and different perspectives. It, it's harder to do. It's not as natural, um, but it, it really does bear uh, a lot of fruit. So I don't think I answered your question. No, well, that's but. good. I, I, I think one thing I hear you saying or that it's a kind of a takeaway for me is like it's really hard to address conflict with someone you don't know, you don't have a relationship with, yeah. you know, yeah. you don't feel like you have common ground. Yeah. And and I, I you know, if, if you really trust someone and you really know them, it's not easy to have conflict, but it is easier. Yeah. And when you're really separated and you're siloed and you, you don't know their family or you don't know their interests or you don't know their background or you don't know their story yeah. – then you're t- you, you tend to be driven by fear of how someone's going to respond. And so you can see that maybe, you know, in, in some of our culture and yeah. some of the things that, that get high, uh, heightened around politics yeah. is uh, we tend to fear the things we don't know. And so maybe that, that could lend itself to being afraid of conflict. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a great point, Cade. And, and I think when you have people bound together with kind of a common mission or purpose, um, 
uh, where where you, you you can at least trust enough of one another enough to know that you're you're generally trying to get to the same place or the same direction. That's easy to think about, like in a church context, or it's easy to think about in a grassroots association where we're we're collectivized, you know, toward a mission. Um, you'd like to see it work better in places like the U.S. Congress, where theoretically they take an oath of, oath of office, um, which, uh, in essence, I'll, I'll butcher it if I try and state it, but but it, it's about protecting the Constitution and the and the principles and the ideas of the United States of America. Um, now there are vastly different ways on how you get there, and sometimes party politics have mm-hmm. have skewed this to where they're really are they fighting for the party or are they fighting for the country or sound bites. But boy, yeah. if if we could create more sound bites, absolutely. But if we could create more of a culture where of trust, where look, we can we know we have different points of view, but but we know we're both trying to to uh, honor and and promote the legacy mm-hmm. of this great nation, pass it on to those who come after us better than it was passed on to us. If we could be united in that purpose, it, it would melt away a lot of the disagreements and allow, at least allow for a better civil discourse. It's fascinating you say that because you could, you could, you know, one could think about that at a, at a level of the national government, which is very large and complex and feels really distant. But if, if, even if you boiled that down to a really small business or a yeah. small organization, Absolutely. like primitive, like yeah. the, the more aligned we are around a common goal, the more we're going to trust each other, the more we're going to be right. empathetic and understanding when maybe we get crossways, yeah. when you're further removed away from a common goal, it creates an environment for, for unhealthy conflict. And, and so um, it's, it's really, really good insight. When you think about your last 15 to 20 years, you know, as a leader at different, different levels, you know, in your organization, when you worked in the federal government, how have you tried to view and handle failure? I try and avoid it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. None of us, uh, like failure, but but I think uh, a lot of that is is just having a longer range view. Um, so if if um, you know if if the goal is to you know uh, act honorably, work hard, maintain your your ethics and and, and credibility, it makes the the little battles on a day to day basis just 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 smaller. Um, I don't have all my pride um, mm. wrapped up in whether I win this particular thing or, or not. Um, uh, my pride, my self kind of identity and worth is, is tied up in something far greater. And, and so I, I don't know if that really gets to your question, but it's the way uh, certainly I've always tried to do things. I just, uh, you know, I, honestly, I, ca- I can't look back and, and think of a lot of failures. There's probably a lot of things I would have done differently, but I think just not 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 making too much out of the out of the small battles on our day to day basis and, and concentrating on the bigger principles. I've never thought of it in that way. When you talk about having a long term view, like when you have a short term view, every failure feels like you know a major failure because yeah. you're only looking, yeah. you know, so far. But when you look at it a long view, it can change the perspective in the way that you you feel failure or the way you allow it to you know shape how you make that next move. So yeah, I like that. I've never never thought of it in that that perspective. How do you uh, approach your own personal growth? You know, you're. Um, I assume I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, you're dealing with a congressman and congresswoman and people. You know, 
at least publicly, from a public view, have uh, you know the most amount of authority and power yeah. and yeah. influence, and they're in the public square. And so you know you have those stakeholders. Then you have the groups you're advocating for, and you have people in rural communities, and you have your own staff. You have your family. So like, how do you? take all of that and uh, approach your own personal growth and staying inspired in your own leadership? Yeah. Man, that's a good question. Um, I I don't, I probably don't have the best methods on this, but, but I genuinely, um, you know, I I love education. I I love uh, the idea of personal growth. I, I love uh, the idea of, of learning from other people by personal interaction, you know, seeing and being a part of their, their life and their journey and their walk, uh, in ways that, that, you know, we, we kind of rub and, and, uh, and, and learn from one another. Um, you know, we do, I certainly in our firm and, and with my employees, we place a lot of emphasis upon, you know, reading, researching, thinking deeply, having a, a well-rounded spiritual life and, and, uh, and personal life, and and setting aside time to uh, you know for that for that kind of personal growth, pursuing hobbies and 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 um, and pastimes that are actually going to uh, deepen your perspective and and uh, and provide balance uh, in the life. So I think all those aspects are are really important. I, we certainly approach everything as we're lifetime learners. We also try and promote just a, a very humble way of. Of looking at things, we're always here to learn. We can always do better, and need to do better. Yeah. Um, and so, I think all those things. It's probably yeah. not a very clear answer. No, it's good. When you think some things you just said is really interesting to me, like reading and thinking deeply. Like, how do you, um, how do you create that space? You know, because everything is moving at breakneck speed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. our work is moving fast, society is moving fast, culture is moving fast, our kids are growing up way too fast. Yeah. Marriages move fast. Like everything seems to be really fast. So then when you say something like, you know, reading and thinking deeply, like how do you create the space for that? <laughs> it's hard. It feels particularly hard right now. Right. I'm worn out right now. Yeah. Um, but I, I think for us, and really in my career, Kate, it's it's just been the early mornings. It's mm-hmm. been the break of dawn and and – and um, just setting aside, and it's it's just hard to do it at other times because I, I tend to be uh, not very selfish with my my time. I love to give it to others, and you know, by by eight o'clock in the morning, there are no shortage of people wanting pieces of that right. time. So I've just had to develop a, a, a habit and a and a process for getting up early, mm-hmm. having that kind of personal time, spiritual time. And then just just the, the the reading the the knowledge of, of of the world, which is particularly in important in in the work I do in the world of politics, mm-hmm. um, being able to assess and, and think about what are the, the driving forces uh, uh, behind this particular piece of news or, or, or that, you know, reading the op-eds, really really trying to, to cultivate our own opinions and 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 careful deliberate thought processes mm-hmm. on the various issues that affect affect our clients and and beyond. I mean we. We we have our world of ag policy, but yeah, think about it. Those who who work for us, and it's a great crew of, of people. You know, we're all kind of built in this way of we we want to make the world a better place. I think that's what attracted us to 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 politics and to public policy. We 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 don't think our minds aren't set so much upon what 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 can what mousetrap can I build to better the world today. That's a great business mindset. 
our minds tend to go more on how do we set a fair set of rules that are going to allow the most people to achieve the greatest uh, uh, ends in, in, our, in our nation and culture? So we're very just policy-oriented the way that we think. And so reading the news, getting a good sense of the world, you know, and, and that kind of critical thought is, is important to that work. Yeah, that's good. What, what, uh, what are your gauges that help you understand that you're tired or that you're not your best self or whatever? <laughs> like I, for example, like I... I find myself getting irritable and impatient, like more so than I already am impatient, uh, or my energy starts to get really low, or I find myself complaining a lot. And those are like, those are triggers. Like I'm not eating well enough. I'm not sleeping well enough. I'm not exercising enough. I'm not creating space enough. What are those triggers for you when you think about your own personal health? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good at self-assessment. So I rely a lot upon, uh, uh, people that are around me, and most importantly, my wife, Kyla. Yeah, <laughs> they're good at that. Yeah, they? <laughs> oh, she's so good. Um, she will, she'll straighten me out. Um, and even my work colleagues, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, conflict is a natural part of our, of our work, you know, this kind of clash of ideas, and, and sometimes it gets out of hand, and it, it just causes you to kind of step back and, mm. and think, wow, um, I, I may be, you know, too tired or, or, or not, not, a, uh, not balanced in the way that I'm approaching things. So, that's good. I, I think I think taking a lot of cues from other people yep. around us. Yeah, really leaning into other people. Uh, it's that's good. Yeah. If you could, uh, this is always my favorite question personally. But like, if you could go back uh, twenty twenty five years ago and speak to your younger self based on what you know now, yeah. What advice would you would you give yourself? I don't like that question. As much <laughs> <either>. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know. One, uh, I, this isn't gonna be the answer you want, but one thing I, I love looking back at my, you know, twenty-five uh, year ago self was, you know, the naivety uh, really served me well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't know better in a lot of instances than to just kind of launch into this this particular issue, and I, I'm sure at that time when I was twenty-two, twenty-three, a lot of a lot of the you know, seasoned war horses in Washington D.C. thought, "Man, what a what a uh, uh, what a foolish young kid uh, who thinks he can who thinks he can do this or that." And and I really do think that that just kind of that bold naivety and 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 a, and kind of a, um, a foolish optimism in in a sense that you know if I if look if I'm if I'm doing right I, you know people are going to respect that and they'll. They'll give me the time, and and we can work through the issues, and it'll be great. And it was all very Pollyannish and and good. And that, that's honestly one of the things that even I tell my young staff: uh, just 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 jump in there and and give it a try. And 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 if you um, do that with the right attitude, you know, it's 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 never going to go bad on you. So um, I, I do here 25 years later. There there are certain certain battles I just don't I don't. I don't take because I probably know better at this point, and and I wish I had some of that naivety from 25 years ago. It's the opposite of the question you asked. There there are things, certainly. Um, well, I don't know. I, I when when I bring on a young staff or something like that, I, I spend a lot of time just trying to really encourage them in in um, in in thinking high ideas and and pursuing those those good goals. So mm, that's good. This is a bonus question. Uh, the 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 time I've known you, which is fairly short, I've observed that, or at least I I feel like you're a really good dad. Uh, I've, I've I've met your sons a couple of Thanks. times. 
Um, it just, it just feels like you're a really good dad. So like, what have you tried to do, um, you know, as you, as you parent to, 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 to be good at that, you know, I mean, I can tell your sons respect you, you know, they're with you. So like, what, what have you done as a parent to like really focus on that? Man, this is a, this is a deep topic. And, and I, I think if there's one kind of common thread, uh, to both Kyla's and my parenting, it's, it's one that we've, we uh, we love one another first and, and we're, we're, we're about promoting one another with our kids. So one of the worst things I think can happen with the kids is when the parents, uh, uh, pit the kids against, against the other. So Kyle has in my being, being lockstep is key. You know, I travel a lot, um, and I have throughout their, throughout their childhood, but I think, um, I've always wanted, uh, our kids to, to feel like, they were my number one priority, even though I am working hard and putting a lot of hours in, and in a lot of cases neglecting uh, certain things or not being able to be at events that, that I would have loved to have been at. But even though that's the case, my my hope and my prayer through all those years has been that they would they would believe that that if it really came down to it, if 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 um, uh, uh, that I would drop everything to come and and take care of what they need, and I think just that mentality in a kid uh, is is healthy. They need to know that their parents have their back, and and uh, so, and then I, I like the old school manners and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we try and tra- yeah, now they're good at it. <laughs> we train I, that I, stuff. Yeah, up. no, that's good. I I uh, I struggle sometimes knowing like the balance. I I want my kids to know what you just said so so bad. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if we don't try too hard to get them to yeah. know that they're like the most important thing to us. And so I, I wish there was a formula that said, here's the perfect balance. Yeah. Because I, I don't, we as parents don't want to overdo it yeah. where, where they feel like they're the center of the world yeah. because they're not. Yeah. There are a lot of things more important than all of us, Indeed. you know, namely others. Yeah. And so I find it difficult to balance wanting them to know like they're our most prized possession, but they're not, <laughs> you know, it's like, you see what I'm saying? And <laughs> totally so I, I wish there was a simple formula to it. So yeah. just trust the Lord that, you know, you're doing the best you can and leave the rest up to yeah, him. Indeed. Yeah. Staying on your knees, praying, being humble and, and, uh, and being honest with them too. You know, it's, uh, I love, you know, my, my, uh, upbringing was great. We had a great family, uh, mm-hmm. life. Um, but I, there was there was definitely more fear, um, mm. you know, for me as a kid than what I think I've I've tried to instill with with my kiddos. There's a healthy there's a, probably a healthy fear and respect there uh, too. But but we try and just be very familiar and talk through talk through the issues. And there are a lot of challenging issues for for yeah. kids growing up in this environment right now. So we've just tried to be very open about that, and um, uh, uh, we're we're grateful. Yeah. Um, it's, they're, they're great kids. Thanks for all your time today. It's really fun to spend some time with you and kind of get your insight on some of the stuff. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Being so honest and, uh, for being willing to be on the podcast. Yeah. I love it, Kate. Thanks for all you do for this, for this region. Uh, you talk about, uh, leadership. You, you put yourself out there in a, in a, in a big way and, and, uh, are doing great things for this, this region and culture and, and, uh, in your church and all the things that you're involved in. So, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, thanks, man.